This is Straight Talk in the COVID Economy, and my name is Larry Quick. Our world has changed and there's no going back. The COVID economy is now very real. We are adapting to telework, Zooming, online learning and new industries like PanSafe and other opportunities revealed by COVID-19. The challenges are also with us. Bankruptcies, unemployment, debt and confusion. In Straight Talk in the COVID economy, we meet thinkers and innovators who bring insight and information into the opportunities and risks of our rapidly emerging COVID economy. Straight Talk in the COVID Economy is brought to you by Resilient Futures. This is alongside our partner, Impact Africa Network. Impact Africa Network is an innovation incubator based in Nairobi, Kenya. It seeks to be a catalyst for the next Silicon Valley in Africa. Impact Africa Network needs all the support we can provide. So please donate at www.impactafrica.network. Hi, and I'd like to welcome everyone to today's discussion. And we've got a very interesting man, Steve Morris. Uh, Steve is in Summerton at the moment, uh, in, the Mel- in Melbourne, or north of Melbourne. And Steve is founder of Close the Loop. He's uh, head of the Circular Economy Development, economy development at Planet, Planet Arc, and co-founder of Local Compost. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Larry. Good to be here. Fantastic, and thanks so much for having us, um, uh, spending some time with us. Um, I can't help but ask what the, the photograph at the back of your head is. It looks very interesting. It looks like that old model about the committees, etc. cetera. Uh, that's right. It's, it's actually about government procurement, and uh, I use it to remind everybody that I'm talking to that nothing gets recycled until somebody buys recycled content. So particularly government procurement in a transition to a circular economy is the key. So we can go into that a bit more now or later, but that's what that's all about. Fantastic. Let's get, let's get into that um, as we go through. Uh, just describing a bit about um, Steve. Uh, in Ecos magazine, um, he was described as um, saying, I'd like to see strong leadership that heavily taxes polluters and environmental vandals. There's quite a few of those around. And that, and that gives tax breaks to solution providers and responsible, sustainable business, businesses and citizens. And that's right up our alley because we talk about leveraging disruption to generate sustainable value. And that's a whole systems view of that, social, economic and critically environmental. We only have one planet, um, even though some people would think that that doesn't count so much, but it's really important. Obviously. Um, so uh, in the social entrepreneur's journey, uh, Tammy Vendang, CEO of Refoundry, uh, in a, an article, The Circular Economy, starting with printer cartridges. Now, this is going to be part of the history we talk about. Uh, in this episode of Plastics Revolution, she said, I'm chatting with Steve Morris, the founder of Close the Loop. Steve started his circular economy business by refilling starter cartridges over 20 years ago. Um, and obviously, Steve's with Close the Loop um, and in a, uh, a really interesting um, uh, conference when we did have those conferences face-to-face. Uh, Steve spoke um, on um, Australia's leadership and sustainability, how Close the Loop built the world's first, ro- uh, first road out of plastic bags, glasses and printer cartridges. And I think that's uh, a fabulous way um, to, to think about it because there, he talked about their, their new innovation turns uh, those types of materials into roads. So, you know, okay, I'm just trying to get my head around this. We've got plastic bags, 
We've got uh, glasses and printer cartridges and they get turned into roads. Just tell me how that works, Steve. Well, it's actually glass, not glasses, Larry. So oh, glass as in, as in waste glass. But right. um, I'll focus on Tonoplast, which is the additive that uh, closed the loop, has developed, patented globally and manufactures here in Australia. And, and that's all about using uh, mixed soft plastics from the Red Cycle programs. Most people in Australia um, have seen those bins outside Coles and Woolworth stores where you drop off your mixed soft plastics. Um, the, the lion's share of that material makes its way back to our factory here in Melbourne and we use it as an additive in Tonoplast. The other major additive there is toner powder from the recycled toner cartridges and, and printer bottles, uh, toner bottles, which is Close the Loop's core business. That's how we started 20 years ago. Um, we started with the brand promise of zero waste to landfill, which has driven innovation in Close the Loop ever since. And this Tonoplast product is a, uh, a specialty pro uh, polymer that improves the performance of asphalt in roads. And, uh, you know, the, the key here is um, the circular economy. And, you know, we've developed that product, A, to, to, to maintain our zero waste to landfill brand promise, but B, because we know that waste is a resource and needs to be treated as such. As you say, we've only got one planet. That planet has finite resources. Bitumen is derived from fossil fuels. So if we can replace bitumen with waste um, and in the meantime, enhance the performance of the road because you don't sell anything on its environmental credentials if it's not better than the product that's replacing. Um, package all that together and you've got a, a pretty big win-win for, um, for the environment, for, for business, because we're creating jobs. And um, now that the government's banned export of waste, uh, we need to do a lot more of this in our country in order to um, look after our own, uh, our own mess. Well, so we, we start to think about the idea of um, a circular economy. And um, this resonates with Resilient Futures because all of our work is based on complex systems and complex adaptive systems. And we look at things from a whole systems perspective. So uh, a circular economy or even the, work, the, the name of the business, Close the Loop, mm. is pretty much understood by us, but I'm not too sure we understand the details. But for our, our listeners, what is the circular economy? Why is it a critical way of thinking and acting upon? And why isn't it as yet mainstream social economic thinking? Okay, so it's, uh, my answer would start with, let's talk about what the linear economy is. That's business as usual today. A linear economy is where we take from, usually from nature, uh, we make, and then we dispose. And uh, we're, all, we're all familiar with that cycle. That's a linear economy where waste is a liability. Um, couple that to the new circular economy uh, where waste is actually becoming an asset. Uh, what we're doing is closing the loop by, by using that waste uh, in new products and new materials. So uh, I explain the circular economy simply in four major pillars. So the four major pillars of a circular economy include design, which you'll love in the resilient futures world. So designing systems, designing business models, designing products, designing new services, in fact with circularity in mind. The next stage is the, the era of R, which is reduce, reuse, 
repurpose, remanufacture, and recycle. So designing products to be repairable, for example, is a good example of that phase. And then you've got the era of D, which is all about deconstructing, demanufacturing, depolymerizing, so that at the end of the life cycle, we're collecting and reusing those atoms and molecules again in new materials and new products. And then the fourth pillar of a successful circular economy is regenerate. So regenerate in simple terms means that society and the planet must be better with that business in it than without having that business in it. So the last part of your question is, um, I think, Larry, uh, what is slowing the transition or, or, or how is the transition going? Am I right? Yes. Yeah, okay, so the, the transition is um, uh, slow for those of us who have been on the journey for 20 years, um, but very fast for, for, for people when you explain to them, oh, yeah, uh, you think about uh, models that are uh, share cars, for example, instead of owning cars, you know. The, the, there's, there's companies like IKEA who have committed to go completely circular by 2030. So, so in some circles, um, the transition is happening very, very quickly. And um, the federal government has recently sponsored the uh, uh, Planet Arc Environmental Foundation to develop a national circular economy hub for Australia to hasten the transition towards circularity. It's a, it's a must have, Larry. This is, uh, in my mind anyway, this is not negotiable. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, I mean, coming back to basics, there's a whole system where you have this, this linearity that exists. I'm just trying to get it into some sort of perspective I can explain, but there's no such thing as a closed system. You know, uh, a, uh, a linear, People think linear, but it doesn't actually exist. There's very few things. Linearity is, is it's non, we live in a non-linear world. So what we actually are doing is going against nature by, by, by having it linear because it begins and it never ends because it's all atoms in the, um, in the universe, if you like. So what we're, and you, you actually raised the point of uh, share cars and you know, the thing around, say, the Ubers and all that sort of stuff is utilisation of um, uh, what's called latent assets or assets that sit in, the in a garage or a driveway and don't get used. And what Airbnb and also um, the business model for Airbnb and uh, for um, Uber is all about utilising uh, those assets who sit, sit idle. idle. So what you're actually saying is that uh, waste, we call it waste, dispose, is a latent asset. Yes. And it's what you're doing is taking that asset through the four pillars, redesigning it, reducing, reuse, etc., deconstruct and regenerate. And that is um, very close to what nature does in its pure form. Um, it, it, it does that all the time in terms of a process of regeneration. So all what we're saying here is that we're doing A, what works in physics, and B, what works in, in natural systems. Yeah, that, that's so true. Um, uh, you, you, know, you know the uh, biomimicry yep. concept, of course. That, that, that's a, 
a key element of circular design is to mimic nature wherever possible. Yep. Um, at the moment, we seem, um, as a species, to, to think that we can uh, compete and, and uh, uh, determine the direction, change the direction of nature, that we can dominate nature. Yeah. And, and, and that's at the peril of the, of the species. Yeah. Um, so, so the circular economy, one of the reasons that it's the, uh, the next industrial revolution is because it takes that concept that surprisingly is esoteric to some, um, yeah. but it, it takes that, content, that concept into the real world of commerce and economics and industry and, and turns it into value. If you think of a linear economy with finite resources as the basis of economic growth, you know, we talk about um, uh, GDP as a measure of economic growth, that whole concept is flawed. Absolutely. And so the circular economy is gaining popularity because it enables job, job creation, it enables wealth generation without necessarily uh, changing the world, uh, you know, the things that we like about the world, but, but, but by recirculating those molecules and atoms uh, and keeping them in circulation for as long as possible, we can, we can create uh, growth, if you like, uh, without um, compromising our planet's ability to rejuvenate its natural resources in time. Yeah, because it's interesting, you know, when we talk about, I just slipped into it myself, saying... Um, you know, the, the idea, it's just a, a very flawed idea, that there's natural systems and there's human systems, as if we're not part of the natural system. We are part of it. We just don't work well with our other co-interdependencies of other species and the, the planet we've been given, etc. Uh, you know, as stewards, because, you know, we don't own it. And uh, it, we've, you know, when I explain to people how long we've been on the planet, the 200 and something, whatever, thousand years or whatever it is, um, that it's like if you take the old World Trade Center, you know, from the base was when the Big Bang happened, if you like, and the very, very top is um, where you start to think about where humanity started or humans started to really dominate the earth. Mm. And you, you've got to take the meniscus on top of the paint that's how long we've been here compared to how long the planet's been here. <laughs> now, when you get that level of scale, you go, oh, so we weren't, uh, the planet doesn't live for us? No, it doesn't. It's, we're, we're, a, we're, a, we're like a, a gnat on the ass of, a, of an elephant. And that's even big to describe. We, and we can be flicked at any time because there's, it's, we've been through mountains of times where species have just been blown away. You know, I mean, um, human beings weren't even the first erect mammal to walk the earth. We just happened to fight our way to the front. So, you know, when you get a sense, a real sense of that, you understand we are part of a natural <coughs> system. And as you said, we are the only species really that competes against it rather than flowing with it. And we take everything in our, 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 um, our path. So, you know, the idea of natural and human systems is like, you know, I say to people, you know, the planet doesn't give a stuff about us. There are some people who deny that, but the planet doesn't give a stuff about us, but we should give a stuff about it. And particularly in understanding if you've got the physics and you've got the, um, uh, the stranded or the, the latent assets that are sitting there that we dump every day, it's just ridiculous that we don't, put business models around that. 
and use it as part of the system. And I, I agree that GDP is one of the, is the, just the worst measure of anything you can ever have. So tell me the business model for Close the Loop. I mean, don't share any trade secrets. You've obviously got IP and a patent on a process, but how did you get in and start? Like you start with recycling printer cartridges, you know, refilling printer cartridges, not even recycling them, you know, and how did you get here? Well, it was the realisation that uh, refilling uh, printer cartridges actually creates waste as well. Um, not all cartridges could be refilled and uh, you would have to clean the cartridges before you could refill them anyway, which produced waste ink and it produced waste toner powder. Um, so there was a lot of waste associated with that industry. And when I looked around at other uh, participants in the cartridge remanufacturing or refilling industry, I noticed that they weren't taking any interest in the waste that was being generated by that industry. So it was was a, it was a bit of greenwash going on selling the concept of reuse when there was a, a whole lot of waste being generated from that industry. But the aha moment for me was when I realised that I'd have a much bigger impact if I sold the concept of collection and recycling to the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers who make the majority of the cartridges in the first place. So your HPs, your Canons, your Lexmark, Brother, Panasonic, Konica, Minolta, Ricoh, Canon, Sorry for the others that I've missed out. You get the picture. Um, I started to approach those guys with the concept of, hey, uh, let's create a voluntary product stewardship program where you take responsibility for your products for the whole of life. And that was the beginnings of uh, product stewardship really in, in, in this country. And uh, to this day, uh, we have a successful partnership with Planet Arc called Cartridges for Planet Arc, 17 years on which is you know, perhaps the most successful in terms of volume collected, the most successful uh, voluntary product stewardship program in the world. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we started with a rather naive brand promise of zero waste to landfill. And that brand promise has driven enormous innovation within Close the Loop, which has opened up new opportunities for us to diversify, Larry. And we've, we've diversified into you know, collection and recycling of uh, other different products, including um, cosmetics, for example. Um, and, and, and then we've also uh, diversified into being an advanced manufacturing company. So our, our Tonoplast line um, is an advanced manufacturing business. It's not a, a recycling business as such. So you can see now the difference between recycling and manufacturing, the loop being closed within close the loop. Yeah. So, so we don't call ourselves a pure recycling company. Part of our business is advanced manufacturing to create new materials from, from the recycled uh, molecules and atoms. So that's uh, the, a short story of Close the Loop. So you're, you're, from a business model perspective, what you're doing is taking somebody's um, latent asset and making it a, um, a tradable asset. Yes. Uh, look, waste is a problem for... Uh, brand owners. So uh, what you're finding now is uh, the license to operate for any brand, the bar is being lifted uh, rapidly. Uh, so, so in order to create a license to operate, brands have got to either do the right thing or be seen to do the right thing. And being seen to do the right thing, having a big flashy corporate responsibility report every year and, and not actually doing it, um, that, that, that's a flawed idea these days because people can uh, very easily 
uh, unpack that greenwash. So yeah. we work we work with companies who are absolutely committed to their uh, brand equity and their license to operate. And um, you know, if there's one thing that I can uh, that I can urge people to do in order to speed the transition to a circular economy, and that is to purchase from brands whose values are aligned with your own. Don't, don't buy uh, advertising anymore. Buy the values and the actions of the brands with which you choose to support. Because another element towards uh, going circular and, and, and the, the COVID-19 experience has uh, given us all a good taste of this, we actually don't need what we think we need, what we think we used to need. We, we don't need the amount of stuff you know, the, the winner is not the one with the most toys at the end. And, and I think that the, the that COVID has uh, exposed our vulnerability. So so um, that gnat on the elephant's backside that you talked about before is an arrogant little gnat because, uh, you know, we thought, we thought that we could uh, get away with it. But I think uh, COVID has given us a wake up, a real big shake up and made us realise how vulnerable the species is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... <clears throat> I mean, you've got to be careful how you say this because obviously there's a lot of sadness, a lot of grief entailed with COVID-19, but the, um, uh, the, the, the possibility is there that it is a way of waking us up to what will happen with climate change if we don't do something about it now. And there's a lot of things in, and we'll talk more about what we call the COVID economy and beyond in a bit, but, you know, there's a lot of things in that economy that are, have been good, like telework and a whole range of things of, of reorganising density in cities, etc. Mm. So, um, but coming back, you said something. I'd like to get into the COVID economy conversation. But you talked about a national circular hub that's been um, talked of by the government, the federal government, is it? Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, the globe, the world, is heading towards uh, circularity. And the transition in Australia um, has been fairly slow compared to other parts of the world. The leaders that I would consider are um, probably uh, parts of Europe, small pockets of Europe like Finland and the Netherlands. And then you've got countries like uh, Japan, and it might surprise people, China, um, are really uh, leading the whole circular uh, transition. The Australian government, in its wisdom, under uh, Assistant Minister Trevor Evans, so uh, Minister Evans is responsible for waste reduction and, environment and environmental management, and that falls under Minister Susan Lee's department. of um, the, uh, She's the Minister for Environment. Uh, they have funded the uh, Planet Arc to build a national circular economy hub, which, if you like, is um, it's tasked with facilitating the transition to circularity in Australia. And under that mandate, we're building a, a hub which is web-based, but uh, there's many different elements to it, including uh, eight key objectives. And I can uh, run through those if you like. But yep. um, So the key objectives real quick include, you know, building the hub itself, which is the portal that people come to anywhere from anywhere in the world, but mainly Australia, when you want to find out how do I transition to a circular business model? Who else is doing it? How can I leverage off other people's efforts? How can I collaborate? How can I learn? Uh, that's the National uh, Circular Economy Hub, which is being built. The next objective is a marketplace for circularity, which is, you know, I've got these raw materials that used to be called waste from my business. 
um, how do I turn those into assets? Who else could use these raw materials? That's the circular economy marketplace. Then we're defining Australia's priority sectors. So we're looking at sectors like um, mining and the built environment and materials like plastics and textiles and going through a process of choosing what are the priorities for circularity in Australia? Where's the low hanging fruit? Where can we get the most impact in the short amount of time? Um, objective uh, four is around circular procurement. You know, Larry, the, uh, a very wise friend of ours from the Netherlands said that the transition to circularity is 80% social and only 20% technical. So people think that uh, we need more shredders and conveyors and we need more infrastructure, particularly governments seem to want to spend on that, where the transition is more heavily reliant on the social aspects wow. of, of circularity. And those social aspects include behaviour change, um, education, uh, building resilient markets for the finished products of, of recycling. You know, that, that, that's the priority. If you've got resilient finished markets for products containing recycled content, the shredders and the front end, the, uh, the, the, the equipment will follow. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. Number five is product stewardship. Um, we've been tasked with building a, a product stewardship centre of excellence. So like I described, Cartridges for Planet Arc is a product stewardship program. We, we now need to encourage, uh, that might be with a stick or it might be with a carrot, um, we need to encourage all industries to take responsibility for their products at the end of life. Um, and then we've got uh, metrics. So you can't manage what you can't measure. The National Circular Economy Hub is about measuring circularity on a national scale. It doesn't mean we have to do it but it means that we need to collaborate with those organisations like CSIRO and various universities and other government bodies for that matter that are currently starting the process of measuring circularity. We want to capture all that data, bring it together into a circularity gap report for Australia, which feeds the global circularity gap report, which by the way, last year's circularity gap report says that the planet is uh, 9% uh, circular, 86 actually, um, coming backwards from the previous year when we were 9% circular. So 8.6% circular. We've got a lot of work to do. The last two, education. There's a big uh, need for education around circular business models and design uh, through all levels of education. And then the final one is uh, celebrating and, and inspiring. So things like the Australian Circularity Awards um, and, uh, you know, recognising excellence in circularity. So, so that's the National Circular Economy Hub. Uh, we're up and running. The federal government funding has come through. We're employing new people to help us build. And, um, you know, the 35-odd uh, existing staff at Planet Arc are, um, are becoming more and more focused on circularity for all of our programs from, you know, National Tree Day right through to our um, Recycling Near You website, for example. Wow. What, what is the website to, to find more information on that? Yeah, it's um, circulareconomyhub- uh, sorry, .org. And that, that is uh, a fantastic initiative. I'm just thinking we've had a huge conditions change with CVD-19, and we, we, we talk about a COVID economy. Yeah. There's no going back 
to what was 2019, you know, even if, even in these times, as you're aware, are living in um, uh, Victoria, and I was just talking to someone this morning from New York, and yeah. similar there, not there's not there's not real lot of difference, even though some of the extremes are different. Obviously, we're we're pretty lucky in Australia, but um, the um, get get let's get back to business as usual is a fraught investment and fraught behaviour because you know, right now it's like how do you make that work? You know, with uh, social distancing in place, it just can't work. It's a it's a wasted investment in a lot of cases. You're best to keep people at home, but you know who's going to run a pub where you can have ten people in it when it normally has a hundred? Who's going to run a restaurant with four tables instead of forty? Yeah, um, you know, I, uh, it, it, what we we talk about the um, uh, from a commercial rent perspective with the rise in tele uh, teleworking uh, that has an it's got to have an impact on um, uh, commercial rents and space. Um, that's going to have a flow-on effect to um, uh, construction, which is the old, old. Uh, if you think about construction, is the, you know, if you, any any decent stimulus, makes a whole bunch of money into infrastructure. But you know, what type of infrastructure are we going to whack it into? My sense is that uh, if if by looking out my window, there's the high street of Wood End goes down here. The trucks that are coming from the new quarry over here are endless going down the high street, which they wouldn't, but, you know, taking um, limestone or whatever it is to these new construction sites. And I just see us investing so much money in what was business as usual, construction to um, uh, create uh, space, uh, commercial space at least, and obviously there's there's um, residential in there as well. but. And when we've got a, uh, we're in a, tele, a, te a booming telework industry that's just emerging, hasn't really got itself together yet. So you've got this wopsy-turvy sort of situation. Um, so, you know, talking about COVID economy, if we're accepting that there is a different, completely different economy uh, and it's going to grow beyond, and hopefully what we're doing is growing toward a transformation, transformed uh, um, planetary health is really what we've got to be talking about is planetary health, social, economic and environmental that comes off what you're talking about so where do you see the opportunities that can be like if you're talking about the hub now what new industries could we invest in right now that made sense you know, um, I, don't, I don't know I'm just thinking you know you can't drink a cup of coffee out of a cup these days it comes out of a a paper cup and can you recycle that paper cup you know uh, oh well you can't read the plastic on top I mean I, you, you know I don't you may be around the same age as me I mean I I didn't ever know about a water in a bottle when I was a kid didn't exist and I didn't know about coffee in a cup or chocolate in a cup you know the amount of waste that gets shucked out of an airplane or you know, so there must be these new industries that can grow and be invested in right now, rather than us saying, well, you know, industrial economies require industrial investment, industrial infrastructure, let's just chuck a whole bunch of money. I mean, we need more money in the NBN. I think that's pretty much a, a straightforward situation. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about investing in freeways and that data, and I'm thinking, well, is that the right thing to invest in? Because if everyone's gonna be working from home mostly, and that's gonna grow, 
what do you what do you need the roads for? You know, I mean, one person stated to me that, you know, we, you know, based on the estimates, just initial estimates of road use during uh, uh, COVID economy for lockdown, is we never need to build another freeway again in Victoria. Yeah. So, um, I, I dare I say that to your road building output, but <laughs> you know. Um, it's the same realisation you have, you know, in banknotes, you know, uh, the utilisation of cash as in folding stuff has gone down considerably and it's dropping exponentially as people tap. I mean, I can't remember the last time I used a dollar note or a five dollar note and it's gone, you know, it's going. It might not be now, but that's what exponential change does is it goes like that or like that. So what are you seeing in a COVID economy? And I'll shut up soon, but what are the big issues you see emerging? What are you, as a thought leader, seeing that could be done here uh, in terms of investment in new circular economy um, businesses or industries now? Yeah, well, one of the things that, you know, there's a, there's a number of uh, things I can talk to that about. One of them being, you know, repair. Uh, we, we, we've lost a lot of skills like working with our hands that are necessary to repair things. So first of all, let's start with design. Let's begin with the end in mind. Let's retrain and, and train people with um, uh, circularity in mind when it comes to design. And even if it's designing a product, yeah. let's, let's minimise the different types of plastics. Let's minimise the different types of metals. Let's, let's create joins that can be deconstructed easily and those raw materials be recovered. So there's a huge amount of work that needs to go through uh, universities and academia and even schools with, uh, with uh, improved thought, design, biomimicry, thinking with the end in mind. Huge amount of jobs there. Then when the products have been better designed, we want to keep them in circularity for longer. So we need the skills that are going to help us to repair things. I mean, I don't know about you, but if my toaster breaks down, it's almost good night. Um, you know, who's going who's gonna to bother fixing a, uh, you know, $30 toaster? Um, but but if, but if I had a $100 toaster that was repairable, um, I, I would take that option any day. And then uh, particularly if, I, if there was a small business in, in my suburb that, uh, that repaired uh, those types of products, then I would go and uh, use those, their services. And, and in fact, uh, I'm already seeking, seeking out those services, having just, uh, just remanufactured an engine in a vehicle rather than uh, buy a new engine or buy a new vehicle. I thought, no, I'm going to stick with this and I'm going to remanufacture it and I'm going to get another 200,000 kilometres out of this, this vehicle. Um, so those types of things are creating jobs, remanufacturing, refurbishing, repurposing. And then we've got the huge existing stock of buildings that are inefficient. You know, our houses, our public spaces, our, the buildings that we frequent, our factories, they're just sucking energy um, inefficiently um, and they, they get too hot and too cold. So there's a huge opportunity for us to retrofit those buildings to, to better withstand uh, heat and cold without the need for fossil fuel derived uh, stimulus, you know, gas, coal, electricity, all this sort of stuff, which leads me to renewables. I mean, gee, solar. Uh, there's a massive industry about to explode. Uh, there's rooftops all around uh, this country that, that could be, uh, that, that could include solar panels and those, the technology 
and the barriers that the, the, that the energy companies have got in place to stop us exporting that renewable energy back into the grid, that all needs to be broken down. We need to get some, some, some logic. Uh, we need to get some strong politicians to say to these guys, no, uh, we're, we're going to fill the roofs of the industrial estates with solar and we want to be able to export that back into the grid and then I want to be able to take that if I'm a house in the suburb next door. So, so those micro-grids of solar energy uh, and, and in, by the way, solar farms out in the desert, uh, there's a huge opportunity for us um, that I like to call life after coal. Yeah, so lots of jobs there. And then you've got the regenerative aspect um, of the circular economy. Uh, and I'm talking about rebuilding, um, you know, natural habitat pathways. I'm talking about planting trees. I'm talking about building public spaces that, that increase the quality of life. And to that end, I'll use this opportunity, Larry, to mention a book which, uh, which I highly recommend. You might know it. It's called Donut Economics. Yes. Yeah, written by Kate Raworth. It, start, it starts by explaining the, the failed premise of uh, modern-day economics education. Yep. Uh, and, and it reinvents the things that are going to be really important to us as measures of success as a species. And then it talks about the inner and outer limits of that donut. Yes. Uh, and uh, that, that is a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, book. And uh, Kate Raworth's got TED Talks too, which I'd highly recommend. Yeah, yeah so, we're, we're hopefully going to interview Kate soon because it's, uh, we identified her some time ago because I think one of the things, you know, there's, there are other um, fantastic speakers. Kate's one, but there's uh, um, uh, Maria, I can't remember to spell her second name, Mm. Uh, there's there's three or four that are just classics and you hit the nail right on the head with Kate's work is they've been educated with the wrong stuff Eco economists and you know the um, Chicago School of Economics who I've met some of the people there who were um, Nobel laureates for an old way of thinking um, and that's really been rebuffed because what it's allowed to do is allowed a, um, a very low, um, in real productivity terms, industry, and I say industry, called the financial services industry, mm. which adds limited value if you look at it in the circular sense, um, and holds value and accumulates it with the few, and doesn't release it so everyone can use it. You know, um, and it's the same with the energy industry from an economic perspective. You need flows of transactions through a system for it to work. The more the flows, the more healthy the flows and adding value, the better it is. If one group of people have got all the money or you have to go, you have, you know, at the moment you're talking about interest rates of 0.25%, credit cards at 25% or 22%. It's just ridiculous. You know, that means there's a whole bunch of people not going to contribute economically because they haven't got enough money to play the game. And, uh, you know, how they play the game is important. But, you know, what we've, we've done is out of Chicago schools, we've, we've basically made that the norm in economic um, thinking. And everyone teaches it. Now, there's a chap who teaches at the University of Kansas. Um, I can walk over there and get a book. In fact, I am. <laughs> These are two books I'd recommend and I think you know changing this is a big way forward you've talked about Kate, Kate's book Donut, Donut Economics 
but there's the entrepreneurial state, and she has another book out as well, Mariana Mazzacuto. Right. Uh, and uh, this one here, this guy is brilliant, Michael Hudson, Junk Economics. Um, J is for junk. He's got other books as well. But Michael um, teaches at, I think it's the University of Kansas, and he's, he's been a, um, a Wall Street banker and he's done all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he, he is looking at, at the moment, the idea of a jubilee, you know, as a, um, a reset debt because no one's going to be able to afford to pay it. I mean, our debt bomb is huge in the uh, coming at us. Uh, because, you know, in the, um, uh, we're going to pay this debt back at some point, even if they've given you a break on your mortgage in a COVID economy. So, you know, uh, I don't quite know how we deal with debt. Some people say it doesn't need to be dealt with. Well, how does the average person pay their mortgage back when the interest has been accumulating at a rate that's something like five times, if not 10, 20 times the um, cost of money? And uh, just ridiculous. The financial services industry has gone out of whack. And both those talk about it, and it has an immense impact on you know, people's behaviour. Um, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When you're trying to survive, um, you can't focus on the what appears to be altruistic, but but more than likely, it's it's further down the track. You know, I can I wait for that. And you know, the big example I had was. You know, what was um, climate change, the moral challenge of our time, or what it was that Kevin Rudd said, mm. that was in 2007. Bang, 2008 happened with the GFC, the global financial crisis. And all of a sudden it was bugger climate change. We've just got to get the economy back. And the average person, you can't blame them. They just go into survival. You know, I know this from working in the US. You know, they're not deplorable people who vote for Donald Trump. They're scared, frightened and unemployed. And, uh, you know, not some of them are pretty wacko right-wingers, yes, okay. But, you know, for the person to really feel valued in a, uh, in a way that allows them to act socially responsible and real, they have to have their basic needs met, a la Maslow. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I know I'm ramping on about this, but I've always got in my mind this, this trade-off that occurs between... Um, uh, modern day economics, which is bullshit, and the environment, which is, you know, and the, there was a thing on Four Corners last night, I didn't get to see it, but that talked about the um, manipulation by politics and you name it, the fossil fuel industry of lying about the truth of climate change. And here we've got planetary health, which is what we're talking about. We're not talking about just climate change, the planetary health and of every species on the planet, including us. And over here you've got this fraudulent, broken thing called economics and financial services. And, you know, my sense of this in the COVID economy is given that a lot of people are going to be running for cover in survival, 800,000 unemployed, a million maybe, and real unemployment with no work, there's no fudging like they do with the normal figures. If you work one hour, you're employed. Um, then you've got the uh, people looking for work, participation rates. There's fabulous ways that politics have made up to fraudulently state the real economic basis of home, of looking after home. I'm having a bit of a rant here. Sorry, mate. That's but, all right. <laughs> that's why I'm interested in business models. I'm interested in how can we build business models in a COVID economy that are sustainable, that leverage disruption and generate sustainable value. That's why I love what you're doing. 
And it's sort of like, how do we get more of it happening? You know, you've talked about, you know, redu um, the, uh, the pillars, um, uh, but also uh, design, you know, well, circular designers. And I know that, you know, people like Bruce Mao out of, out of um, Canada uh, has always talked about, you know, design. It's, it's not about the world of design. It's about the design of the world. It's his sort of pitch. Um, and, you know, getting circular design to occur. I mean, IDEO and all those have been great at doing that. But, you know, getting it to work so that people get it. And I think it's that bit that you talked about um, as in education. You know, like how do we educate and, you know, how do we get people to give up old business models and go into circular business models? You know, what's the circular business model for telework industry? Which is an emergent industry. Yeah, I think we've got to we've got to work with the uh, with the low hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is um, what what industries and what materials have got economic drivers attached to them to support the transition to circularity. Now, if we look at Australia's national waste policy, which is a document that uh, not too many people. <laughs> have read but uh, but but it's got clauses in there it's got it's got met metrics in there it's got um, you know real goals and, and uh, targets in there that are driving change for example you know um, the Australian packaging covenant uh, organization APCO you know they've got uh, they're government funded as well they're a government uh, group and they've got targets in there things like all packaging, in Australia must be recyclable, uh, compostable, or uh, recyclable, compostable, or reusable by 2025. Now that, that's driving different business models, Larry. It's driving uh, companies to start redesigning their packaging. It's starting to create industries that are gonna help the big brands, the biggest brand, household brands you can think of are all impacted by this. So, you know, follow the legislation, follow the, the, the existing drivers uh, is the key message there. Um, just like Close the Loop is doing with Tonaplast, you know, the manufacturers, some 300 odd uh, food manufacturing companies that put recyclable on their soft plastics packaging must have a solution. You can't just pop that, that logo on there and talk about it. So therein lies the opportunities, uh, Larry, and I think I might have lost you. No, I'm here. Oh, good. I just lost vision for some reason. No, but, uh, you haven't lost me, mate. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. Yeah. That easy. <laughs> Maybe I had to keep, keep Zoom awake by moving the cursor for a little bit, but it uh, doesn't matter, mate. I could talk to a, to a brick wall about this stuff. I'm so passionate about it. <laughs> I love it. But what I want to draw us is, you know, in the last um, um, time here is, you know, what I'm, uh, you know, because what we're going to come out of this, um, uh, we're in, you know, how these things, we, you know, our background is in disruption or discontinuous change mm. and impact on social, social economics, if you like, and also business, obviously, and that. Um, so, you know, what happens is that we're going, well, we're going along like this, this, everything's fine. And then, bang, we've hit this, you know, if you're going to get a change, normally there's a little bit of a change like this, but this went bang, like that. Yeah. The COVID-19 is the sort of, um, uh, the, just the, the, the small bit that started the social economic shock that's gone through 
the world. It's never happened at this scale before. And people say, well, we've had pandemics before, but, you know, 100 years ago compared to now, and the connectivity and the whole systems effect rippling through the digital and blah, 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 it's not the same, just totally different. Um, so, um, uh, you know, we've got, and we've, we've going to have more pandemics. That, and when you say pandemic, it might be, it's endemic already, as in these viruses are in places, but it's haven't gone to scale to be epidemic and they haven't crossed countries to be pandemic yet. But they're there, you know, and they're well reported. And, you know, Bill Gates has spoken about it, ABC spoke, everyone's, there's plenty of programs, plenty of information out there about the circulating, circ, circular, circulating viruses. So, you know, that's going to happen, and particularly around climate change, and more of those revealed because permafrost melts and all that stuff. But the, um, the situation we've got now with the COVID economy is, in my view, just such a golden opportunity to reduce time, you know, because I, I, I think things like, you know, we have to do the, um, the branding and we have to do the recycle by 20, 2025. That's five years away. And I, I think, well, can, you know, can, the, can planetary health last that long? Are we going to breach some thresholds there that there's no return? We've already done that with um, uh, carbon dioxide in the air. And, you know, I got a T-shirt that said limit no more than 340 degrees, uh, um, uh, 340 um, uh, carbon, you know, uh, and uh, that, that, that's been breached. And we just wander on into the abyss of not really understanding what's going on. I'm just, I'm, I'm about, you know, we've got this time. What are the business models? Like telework will have an environmental impact, positive, I would suggest. If, say, for instance, we get a circular economy into telework, what is it that they are going to throw away at home that they wouldn't necessarily, that would be recycled in, um, in a city office? What is it that they can do at home to be circular economy aware uh, and there's an industry that picks that up in a way because I can just see um, uh, flotsam and jetsam that comes out of someone working from home uh, going into the bin and that goes into the red bin and gets thrown away. You know, what is it that, you know, we've got a pretty good system in Macedon Ranges here of four bins, but what is it, what else is there that you know, makes it a, a, a better use of the asset of working from home and the asset of... Um, the, the latent assets of uh, renewables or reusables or whatever it is. What is the business we can get now? That's the question I've got in my head. And it's almost like, how do you replicate your business and grow it exponentially today? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's in my mind as well. And, uh, you know, replicate is, is a very good way of describing one thing, and that is that we need to think local, I believe, Anyway, I think we'll see a lot more resilience being built up in our in our smaller communities. I certainly hope so. Yes. Um, you know, Australian made. Uh, you know, I was driving to work today and I heard uh, about the lost sales of barley um, to China. Yep. And uh, and I thought immediately thought, well, what's the opportunity there? Now, most of those farmers will probably uh, some of those farmers will probably uh, not plant barley uh, next year, but but that doesn't it make you think if you've got a country that's got plenty of low uh, cost, very high quality barley, that there's um, 
there's an industry there waiting to happen. How do we process that barley in Australia and sell the finished goods? Because um, there's certain finished goods that the uh, Chinese people can't do without now that their that their middle class is growing. So, um, you know, I'm I'm very very um, optimistic. Uh, whilst I totally agree with you that we should be we should be um, focused on the ability to regenerate. Have we still got time, etc. There's a lot of fear in the community now, isn't there, Larry? You know, there's a, especially young people who are born into this era where, you know, all the oldies and everybody actually is, is walking around uh, second-guessing each other and, you know, uh, worried about their futures and, and, and what have you. So I try and um, maintain my optimism. It's not hard because I'm born that way, but um, uh, I think local jobs, I think local communities, I mean... Uh, a mate just called me up recently and said, well, what do you think about this idea, an app where we uh, interchange uh, excess food? Uh, you know, you might have a tomato plant and you're, you're one old bloke living in a nursing home. So you've got 20 spare tomatoes that season. We'll swap them for cucumbers or zucchinis from the bloke next door. So, so I see, that, I see yeah. that these new business models are really going to start to burgeon now. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel very optimistic about it. If people are aware of what's going to make us a more resilient society, then uh, we're going to start investing in those areas, Larry, I believe. Yeah, and I, I guess my sort of uh, rant, my, um, uh, my, my notion of um, immediacy is not, not being... I'm not a, a, a pessimist or, a real, or an optimist. I I'm, I'm tend to be a, a realist, given that I do a lot of analysis... Yeah. on uh, pattern recognition and conditions, watching immediate and emergent conditions at scale come at us. That's why we see things like pandemics and that. And we get concerned about uh, a whole bunch of things occurring in terms of planetary health that, you know, um, uh, do limit the amount of time we've got to get the social, social economic changes so that, you know, we don't end up with a climate change version of COVID-19. Um, globally, that has to happen. So, you know, and given that everyone in the emerging world chases down the best of the Western economies, we're not a very good leader in that way. But, you know, what is the, the um, you know, we're talking, as I say, to New York this morning, what is the, the telework industry in the US? It will be huge. What will it be in China? It will be huge. And I was saying that, you know, Someone who gets out of who started high school today or get out of university or wherever they finish up from their, that, that period of their schooling and say, what, they used to work in offices, did they? Wow, that's really interesting because I work at the local hub or I work, at, I work from home. I just sometimes I go to the office. Sometimes I just go to a cafe and sometimes, you know, and sometimes I prefer to work at night, not during the day. And, but, you know, my task is get the job done. And... Uh, so, you know, I, I can see that in telework. I can also see, you know, why are we going to, how are we going to fill a lot of empty buildings? We're going to have to refit, retrofit them to make apartments. And I think, you know, your point of, um, you know, a refit really inefficient buildings that have been built could be a part of that. Well, what's the business model for, say, JLL, Jones Lang um, LaSalle, who manage in big buildings? What's the business model for the big constructors, you know, who have got shovel-ready projects stacked up and they're all of a sudden, oh, you know, are we going to take that risk when we might not be able to commercially fill them? 
they're going to do something. So what's the business model that they could grab hold of, invest a whack of dough in and get it happening? And how do we get the, um, the, the, the leaning of any state government right now is to go to old economics. You know, not, not donuts, but that Kate's talking about. It's to go to infrastructure because it's the old, worry old horse that's always worked because we're basically an industrial economy. But nowadays we're a mobile digital economy. And, you know, we're not a square metre economy anymore. We don't necessarily care where the square metres are, whether it's in a cafe or wherever it is. So, you know, you look at the cost of buildings and you go, forget that, send them home. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're going to be home for a long time, you know, because most organisations, it's too complex to try and work out how you get two people in a lift at a time when a building is flooded by 2,000 every morning and every night. So, you know, those are the examples. And I'm, I guess I'm just... Looking at you guys, Planet Arc, and close the loop and going, we've got to get this circular economy happening. For a start, we have got an emerging industry called telework. We've got to make it circular. I don't even know where to start with that one. But how do we start that one? Because it's going to happen. How do we start a circular economy refurbishing of buildings? You know, how do we uh, get the... Um, uh, the um, uh, the likes of uh, the Andrews Victorian state government to say, hey, wait a minute, don't put so much into those roads and all that. We might not need them. But how about just taking a little bit of that, like a billion dollars, and putting it into this, you know, this industry or this new industry, refurbing a building, buildings industry, ref um, telework industry, um, uh, you know, um, all of those type of opportunities. And one thing that occurred to me that, you know, gets on, you know, um, is when you talk about manufacturing, we still haven't really got the idea of micro-manufacturing. You know, you're doing small manufacturing. Um, we could be doing a hell of a lot more of that, you know, rather than going to big plant and equipment. You know, yeah, so I agree. It is a trend, uh, the micro-factories. Um, you know, whilst you're still competing with the big super factories, it's uh, very hard to make that economic model work unless you've got lots of support from this, you know, buy Australian, think local type mentality. So, so um, part of the investment, if we were to take a little bit away from infrastructure, which is our old fallback position, would go into things like behaviour change. It would go into the 80% of the transition to a circular economy, which is about education and, um, you know, changing our habits. You know, a great example is, uh, you know, recently there's been a soft plastics challenge where people have been challenging each other to, to collect soft plastics and take them to Coles and Woolworths. And, you know, whenever I get the chance, my message to that is, that's fantastic. That's the start, Re uh, collecting your soft plastics and putting them in the bin but that's not recycling. Recycling is following the entire supply chain and yes. making sure those raw materials end up in a product and that that product is purchased. And when you see now government procurement being mandated with minimum percentages of recycled content that they must purchase every year, then you're starting to see levers that you're talking about, Larry. How yeah. do we change? How do we create new industries? It's with these uh, government political uh, policy levers because unfortunately, um, you know, we're a bit slow uh, to get the memo as a species. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I'm going to leave on one particular point, and that's a business model that um, I think Kodak started, and that was the um, buy the camera cheaply and then pay a lot for the film, which the whole of the printer industry has adopted. You know, I think, you know, I can buy a printer. I, first of all, I can't repair the printer, and I reckon that there's sometimes a, a little bit of a virus put into printers that they always break down at the most important time and they um, only last a year. So you, you, you basically have to get it and throw it out. I don't, you know, you take it down to the tip and say, here's the printer. And, uh, but you've, you've paid 90 bucks for the printer and $2,000 for the ink over a 12 month or whatever it is, period. That business model, how do we stop that business model? Yeah, that's, uh, that is starting to change. It's changing slowly, but it's starting to change. Um, printers, are, uh, if you buy the right model, you can get a very robust printer. I've, I've had one particular unit for about five years in, in a very harsh environment and it's worked uh, beautifully all the way through. And you can get higher volume ink cartridges. You can even get OEM branded bulk ink systems now so you can hook up you yeah. know, two, two litre bottles. Yeah, so the, 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 there is change and the pay-per-click model where you might have a photocopier in the office that's shared by you know, 20 staff members and you don't actually pay for the photocopier or you don't even pay for the cartridges, the toner. You yeah, that's pay, what we've got now. Yeah, you pay per click and then it's up to the uh, company selling you that device to make sure that it runs properly and to make sure that it's robust in the first place. Now, these are very early stages of a transition of that particular industry um, and it's another one where there was the threat of, oh, there won't be any printing in 10 years. I heard that 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, travel agents will go out of business soon. Yeah. Um, you know, these things are a little bit slower to, uh, to evolve than, you know, than we might think. Yeah. But, but you're right. That's the way we've got to start thinking, Larry. Put our money to the brands and the products that are in line with our personal values and we'll force change as, as individuals. So if that was the first takeaway, put brands, put money to, in the brands that enforce, what was it again? Uh, put, put money into the brands that you share your values with, your personal right. values, yes. align them with the brands and, yes. then, and then make your purchasing decisions. Yes. Give me two more takeaways for our audience. Okay. So my favourite is nothing gets recycled until somebody buys products with recycled content. Um, sorting stuff and putting it in the right bin in your four bin system doesn't mean it gets recycled. It, something only gets recycled when somebody buys recycled content. So government, buy more roads with recycled content. Um, uh, anybody, procure more infrastructure with recycled content because the days are gone where recycled content means poor quality. We're, we're technically way more advanced than that now. So that would be number two. And number three would be probably uh, act local. Buy, buy Australian. Um, act local, support your small local businesses, um, and and let's create a more more resilient society starting from our local communities up. Mate, that is fantastic, and thank you so much. And I'd, I'd also like to thank you for indulging me and my little rants occasionally in there. No, it's fun, um, Larry. You can get a sense that you know, I'm, uh, I, you know, if I said it this way, that um, I got involved with the um, sustainable environmental movement. Well, it's quite a few years ago through a friend of mine 
who explained what was absolutely logical in the 80s. It's like, oh, of course, you know, the planet is important and we're not doing a good job. And then I've sort of gone through the different iterations up to under, you know, looking at the Greens without ever belonging to these things. But just as an analyst and a strategist taking it into account, and people have talked about the circular economy. And I must admit that it has never been, because I'm, what I'm trying to do in the work we do is to get conventional business to, to experience the disruption, if you like, that they're going to have or they have had, mm-hmm. and leverage that disruption to generate sustainable value. And those values aren't necessary. Uh, they're planet first. You've got to have, you've only got one, you know. You can, if you make a mistake with people, you can maybe get some more. If you continue to do that behaviour, you're going to lose everyone. But it's people, planet, people, etc., etc. Mm. And explaining profit to people that it is a, uh, as one of our clients, Ian Ford says, it is a lag indicator of other value generation. It's a lag indicator. Money never made money for anyone without um, a whole range of other values being valued. But unfortunately, our balance sheets don't show that. They only show the flow of cash in and out of a business and where we can, what we consider an asset at, valued at a price. doesn't show the value of a tree. doesn't show, you know, we've failed dismally on intangibles and eco-asset management and all that stuff. So, you know, you've got me into a conversation that now what I'm putting into my sort of um, a uh, bag of COVID economy things is the circular economy, particularly anything that we do in whether in emerging industries um, has got to fit a, a circular economy. That is a, a like an accelerator, you know, because if you get that happening and, you know, because at the bottom line is the goods become more effective, more efficient, and hopefully more affordable for more people. So, you know, we can take this chance where it's all looking like uh, hell in a handbasket and make something else better happen. And I really thank you for your leadership in this because when I, I came across you uh, and I thought, I hope this guy will give us an interview because he's a leader in a field that very few people understand. I don't, I understand it better as I've gone forward, but you are an expert. And I, you might, I mostly bought printer cartridges off you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to be with you, Larry, and thank you for those kind words. And, yeah, uh, I, I will just t- let you know that I gave you the wrong... It's actually circulareconomyhub.org.au, so I forgot to put the au on the end. Au. Yes, I yes. So, so keep your eye on that. It's moving fast. Perfect. Well, okay. okay. Thanks so much, Steve, and we shall be talking again soon. Thanks, Larry. All the best. Bye for now. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this Straight Talk in the COVID Economy podcast. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Also, please let us know your thoughts by leaving a rating and review. For more information about Resilient Futures, please visit www.resilientfutures.com and please support our partner, Impact Africa Network at www.impactafrica.network. We need all the support we can to help them build their own incubator. We know that there are many other great podcasts out there and your time is precious and you chose to listen to Straight Talk in the COVID Economy. And we appreciate that. Thank you.